Hey, Willow family. I am so excited. Listen, I've been coming to Chicago all this time, and now I get to bring you here to Southern California. Welcome to my home. I finally got you all over to hang out. Listen, I'm missing you. I'm missing the faces, um, and I am excited um, but also sobered by our national realities. Um, so I am so glad that I get to, um, to share God's word with you today. Um, and, and, um, a little sad that I don't get to be there with you guys in person, but, um, but also really excited to be in y'all's house. I ain't been in here before. This is nice. Y'all got a nice house. This is good in here, y'all. Um, um, what a season we're in. Uh, a season when the Word of God means so much and we're so dependent upon the Word of God. I'm so thankful uh, to the Willow team and all the hard work that they're doing. Um, and uh, and I'm just excited to be back. So glad to be in your homes. Grab your Bibles. Um, Mark chapter um, 8. Uh, we're continuing in the Mark series. Uh, Mark chapter 8. We're going to look at Mark chapter 8. Verse 27, verse 27, and we're going to go all the way down to verse 37, all the way down to verse 37, Matthew chapter eight. Uh, let's hear God's word. Um, Jesus and his disciples went on to the village around Caesarea Philippi. On the way, he asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Uh, Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. Uh, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Uh, what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or who can any how or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Let's pray. God, would you move by your spirit as we, uh, as, as I've been saying, as we are scattered together, 
as we're sitting in our homes, some of us riding in our car, some of us on the treadmill, um, as we're watching some of us with families and some of us are in our PJs watching it alone. Father, whatever we find ourselves, Father, would you speak, O oh Lord, your children have scattered together to listen. Tune our ears to your voice so that we might hear you ever so clearly. Father, would you turn our hearts toward you so that we might experience the fullness of all that you have for us. God, is to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you would have us say, know, and do. May the words of my mouth, meditation of my heart, be acceptable in thy sight. Oh, Lord, you are my strength. You are my redeemer. Get glory in this place. There's a story of a son who calls his mom and um, he's discouraged and he just can't find his way to get up out of the bed and go to church on Sunday. He just didn't, he couldn't find his way to go. And his mother tried to encourage, he said, son, you gotta go to church, you gotta go to church. He says, I don't wanna go, I don't wanna go. He says, son, you, you gotta go, it's gonna be, it's gonna bless you, it's gonna be good for you to be there, you just gotta go. He says, mama, I don't wanna go. Finally, after going back and forth, she finally concludes, she says, well, listen, if for no other reason, since you the pastor, you need to go to church this Sunday. <laughs> I guess um, he um, he didn't want to go. Uh, he was tired and weary. And his mother had to have with him what I like to call a sobering conversation. A sobering conversation where you just get hit with the raw reality of why you need to go. Um, I think that's what Jesus is having with his disciples is a sobering conversation. It's a sobering conversation. And to be honest, this passage, it hits us with the wrong, strong reality of why we have to go and how we have to go. Jesus is giving us an invitation to follow him and many of us are followers of Jesus Christ. Um, and he, um, he says, this is what it means to follow me. He has a very sobering conversation with his, his disciples. And I think Jesus wants to have a very sobering conversation with you and I today. Oh. It starts with, I, I think there's a, there's a bunch of emotion in the passage. Jesus is starting to tell of his death. His ministry has begun. It's been 33 years. He's starting to tell, um, get ready. I'm going to the cross. And I'm going to die. And he's, he starts to get comfortable. And as he gets to the cross, I'd imagine in his humanity, he's, it's emotional for him. So you see him in this passage where he says, okay, they're sitting down and he says, all right, y'all, let's talk. Let's talk. Um, who, do, who do men say I am? Who do, who do men say I am? What, what's the word on the street? What are they saying about me? Because he knows that who he is has a direct result of what's about to happen to him. So he wants to know, who do people think I am? And then almost like friends, he says, okay, but now who do you say I am? Because 
we've been walking together. You're my followers. We, we, we've been together. We've shared these moments together. Who do you say I am? And that's when Peter, Peter represent first one. Ooh, 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 me, me. He's that guy in the classroom. He's that guy in the classroom. Ooh, call on me, call on me. Peter says, thou art the Christ. You are the Messiah. And Jesus gives him one of the greatest compliments he could have ever given him. He says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. The spirit speaking through you, Peter. The spirit, come on now. And Peter's like, yeah, I did that. I did that. And then Jesus has a moment with him. He says, yeah, guys, I'm the Christ. I'm the Messiah. And this is what that means. They're going to arrest me. They're going to bring accusations against me. And when we get there, when we get to Jerusalem, they're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. But in three days, I'll rise again. And there'll be a new world order. I'm establishing something that you can't even see now. And I'm going to do a new thing. He shares this revelation with them that's profound and powerful. And watch what happens. Peter comes, taps him on the shoulder, like, yo, yo Jesus, <laughs> thanks for sharing that. Could you come here for a second? Can I talk to you a little bit real quick, real quick? And the Bible says Peter rebukes Jesus. He, he rebuilt. Now, Jesus, uh, yeah, that ain't gonna happen, okay? I'm your boy. I'm gonna shut it down. Ain't nobody gonna be killing nobody. I'm shutting it down. Like, Peter comes over and rebukes Jesus. Go, look, who rebukes Jesus? He comes over, hey, Jesus, I rebuke you. I, I, I gotta rebuke you. I'm your boy, but I gotta rebuke you. What? And then Jesus looks at him. Watch this. Who, who he just gave the greatest compliment to and says, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. The spirit of the Lord revealed this to you. He looks at the same dude and says, get behind me, Satan. Get behind me. How do you go from being filled with the spirit to now being called Satan in a matter of 10 minutes? <laughs> well, that's when Jesus says, sit down, all of you, come here. Let me, let's have a sobering conversation. Let me, let me help you understand what's really going on here. Clearly, you don't get the full picture of what I'm doing. Let me, let me, let me provide for you the reality of what, what's happening in the earth right now. And he goes on and he begins to paint a picture of what discipleship really is. He paints a picture of what it means to follow Jesus Christ. And it's a hard picture to watch. It's a hard picture to see. But it brings about a sobriety because he rebukes Peter because he says, you are seeing this story centered on your humanity and not centered on the kingdom work that God has called me to do. And if you try to process the work of Jesus through your humanity, you gonna miss Jesus. Because our humanity wants the story of Jesus Christ to be played in our life, played out in our life as comfortable as possible. 
So when he started putting talking about some crucifixion and and try and death, oh no, uh-uh, that's not the story we want. Peter's like, no, 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 no. There's another. There's a. There's a. There's a very G-rated version of this that we can do. And Jesus says, "I rebuke you, Satan. I didn't come for a G-rated version because a G-rated version won't get us to the power of the resurrection that our heavenly Father has required." So he sits down and he gives a clear picture of what discipleship really is. And I think it's important for us to come back to these passages and be reminded to walk in a sense of sobriety and be reminded that here it is, number one, it's just not about you. It's just not about you. We're in a season where there are a lot of reasons to complain. There are a lot of reasons to experience frustration. There are a lot of reasons. You can you can easily make this season about you. I can easily make this season about me. The disciples, Peter was making a moment about him and his comfort. And Jesus says, listen, if you live your life trying to save your life, you will lose your life. But if you lose your life, for my sake, you will find your life. Ah, He's saying, listen, don't spend your days asking the question, how comfortable can I be? Don't, don't spend your days asking the question, trying to figure out how, how, how much can I save? How much, how much of my life can I save? How much can I not change and still be okay? How much sacrifice is Jesus really required? He says, if you live your life, you will, you will lose your life. You will never experience the fullness of what I have for you. But if you give your life away for my glory, if you lose your life for my sake, then you'll find it. It's, it's this dynamic. It, it, it's kind of like this. I, I could tell. I could tell y'all ain't getting it. Let me let me try to help you. Let me try to help you. It's um, yeah. You ever go on a cruise ship? A cruise ship. I mean, ain't nobody going on them now. But back when we could go on cruise ships, um, cruise ships. I'm telling you, is one of the best things in the world. It, I'm telling you, um, they have all night buffets. All night buffets. Now, I know you're thinking, why in the world would you need a buffet at two o'clock in the morning? And that's what I thought. And I th- and I, when I went down there at two o'clock in the morning, I was like, why in the world? Who wants to be at a buffet at two o'clock in the morning? Well, it turns out everybody on the ship want to be at the buffet at two o'clock in the morning because it was packed. Everybody was up in there. Everybody was up in there eating watermelon, pineapple, and steaks all at the same time. Who even eats like this in the normal world? Everything on a ship is catered to your pleasure, to your comfort, to your desire. Everything is catered to what you want. They live for the pleasure of its passengers. They live for the pleasure of their passengers. A lot of times we think following Jesus is like being on a cruise ship. You think the church is designed to live for the pleasure of its passengers. You think that's what the kingdom is all about. No, the kingdom of God is not like a cruise ship. It's a lot more like a battleship. Never forget a pastor using this illustration and he said a a battleship ain't like no cruise ship. Oh no, ain't no pool on the Lido deck of a battleship. They got big guns. They got the, the, the dining experience. You know what they call the, 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 the dining place? They call it the mess hall. That, that's how much they got. They ain't care nothing about because it's not designed for the comfort and the, and the pleasure of its passengers. A 
battleship is designed to fulfill the mission of the banner that it flies. A battleship is designed to fulfill the mission of the banner that it flies. As followers of Jesus Christ, he's trying to help you understand, listen, if you come in here, to, if you're trying to follow me and trying to stay on the Lido deck, you're going to miss me. But if you would recognize that your life is not your own and surrender it over to the mission of the kingdom of God, then you'll find me. Find me. Uh, or, or, or it's kind of like being married. Being married. If, if you're the husband, as, as a husband being married to my wife, I realize if I'm trying to, if in my, when I'm in an argument with her, if I'm trying to be right, I'm going to be wrong. But if I can go on and be wrong, then I'll be right. <laughs> now, some of y'all, some of y'all are like, Albert, it wasn't making sense until you said that. Now, when you said that, that that's it. That changed my marriage right there. Um, Jesus is just saying, don't follow me trying to still preserve yourself. Because there's a cross that we all have to bear. And on that cross, we have to sacrifice ourselves. Where do you need to sacrifice? Where are you trying to save your life where you actually need to lose it? Where are you trying to hold on where you really should let go? Where are you trying to preserve when you really should surrender? He says, if you're going to follow me, here's a sobering reality. It's not about you. And if you follow me trying to make it about you, you're going to miss me. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Not only that, but he goes on and he says, what profit the man to gain the whole world and lose your soul? So if you go after you and, and you do it, he says, what profit a man to gain the whole world and lose your soul? The most dangerous thing about that statement is that you can gain the whole world and still lose your soul. You can win and still lose. You can get it right but still get it wrong. It's so sobering to me because I think you can be successful. You could get everything that this world has to offer. You could win in every way. You could be a great business person, win in society, be great. You could win and, and be a person worthy of celebration in this world and stand before God and he say, I never knew you. The world loved you, but you never loved me. You can get it all right and still get it wrong. You can gain the world and still lose your soul. I remember back in my seminary days, I was not, a, um, I was a different kind of student, if you will. I, um, you know, you got some students that, you know, they go to class, they read the syllabus, they do the assignments, you know what I mean? You got those kind, that type. But then you got people like me who, who honestly, I like to live a little bit more spont spontaneously in the spirit of the living God. I like to let God kind of lead me. So he'll lead me to my pa my papers. He'll lead me to the reading. I, I just like to be free in the spirit. Come on, anybody else out there like me like to be free in the spirit? Well, here's the problem with that. Um... You want to be free in the spirit. You got to be prepared. There's some awkward moments. It lends itself to some awkward moments. There are times when I've walked in class and seen other people, they got papers on their desk. And I'd be like, um, we got a paper due today? Uh, I'll be back. 
because I didn't know, right? So I'll never forget being in Dr. Glenn Stassen's class at Fuller Seminary, Kingdom Ethics. And um, I had a paper due. I had a paper due. Um, and my I just happened to be sitting and my syllabus just, just fell open. My syllabus just fell open. And I happened to see I got a paper due next week. And I know about it early. Praise the Lord. The spirit has led me here. So I remember doing my paper and I turned it in early, which, you know, parenthetically early for me is on time. I, I turned it in on time early and, and you know, I was arrogant. I, I, I just knew I killed it. I knew I, I knew I, I, I just killed this paper. So I turned it in arrogantly. I went in my professor's desk. I threw it on his desk. I said, you ain't even got to grade that, Jack. It's an A waiting to happen. And I walked out the room. I was just arrogant. So they're passing the papers out and um, we're getting our papers back and I'm looking at it and, you know, I'm not even looking at my paper. I'm just looking around at everybody else thinking, man, if he grading this on the curve, I put the curve through the roof, Jack. I, I did that. Uh, and finally, I look at my paper and, um, and, and it, 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 he got it on there and it says um, great content on the front page. And I'm thinking to myself, I know you ain't got to tell me. I know it's great content. I wrote it. I know it's good. And then we get to the back, and then on the last page, it says, um, big red letters, F, wrong assignment. Great content, wrong assignment. One day we'll stand before God. And the greatest fear is that he'd say, great content but wrong assignment. You gained the world, but you lost your soul. Are you, are you pursuing God? Are you pursuing the world? Are you coming after the kingdom? Or have you been captivated with the empire? I'm telling you, you can win in this world and not hit the right assignment and lose in the kingdom. He says, it's not about you. Don't spend your life trying to save your life. Surrender it to me and you will find this new life. You'll find this new life. But if you get so captivated with the world, you will win in the world and lose in the kingdom. Third and finally, he says, don't be ashamed of me. He, he's saying that he's about to be crucified and it is probably the one of the most shameful ways to be put to death. But he says, don't be ashamed of me. Stand in who I am. Stand in the truth of this gospel. Don't be ashamed. I almost think he's prophetically looking at Peter saying, a few days from now, you're going to deny me and you're going to be ashamed of me. But I almost want to give you a word ahead of time to prepare you for the failure that's about to come. Hmm. He gives him a word of preparation before the failure. Because we know in a couple of verses, Peter's going to deny Christ three times. He's going to be ashamed of him. But that's not where Peter's story ends. Peter 
will be ashamed in this moment, but his redemption uh, will take him from being ashamed to now being one of the most courageous voices of the gospel in all of written history. I, I guess I want to encourage those that might have had seasons where they didn't stand up like they should. Or even in this season that we're in now, you're discouraged and you're walking in fear and not faith. And maybe you are ashamed of what you believe because you're seeing bad things happening or you're ashamed of what you believe because your belief is going to require more of a sacrifice and more discomfort than you thought. That's what Peter did. Peter was a... Peter, Peter was ashamed, number one, because of the fear of what other people thought and the, 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 the trial that would come. And then he just, Peter just had a cleaner version. He had a rated G version, a, a version that didn't require Jesus Christ dying on the cross. He says, don't be ashamed of my version. Don't be ashamed of the story that I'm writing. So I want to encourage you. Where are there areas in your life where it's been marked by timidity, a lack of courage with your faith. We live in a time where we need bold faith. We need bold faith. Now's not the time to be ashamed. Now's the time to trust and believe that your God is good. Your God is great. Your God has gone before you. He's made a way for you. And Peter, even if you fail, I got you on the other side. Your story will not end. In shame, your story will end in victory. Let me encourage you. Your story will not end in shame. Your story will end in victory. So I pray that you will be sobered by the reality to know that this season is about you losing your life, not you saving it. And it's a, and it, and it's a challenge to, to don't go after the things of this world, go after the things of the kingdom so that you might experience the life, the missional battleship life that he's called you to live. And we don't walk in shame. We're not ashamed of our father. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We trust him because God's gonna use us and he's gonna use us for his glory. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for everyone watching. Thank you for those families that are there. Father, I thank you so much that you are faithful. You are a good God. So, Father, we won't spend these days in quarantine and safe housing and trying to save our lives. Father, we will surrender our life to you and we will look up to heaven and we say, Lord, we live daily under the posture that says, not my will, but thy will be done. We won't spend these days in this season trying to gain the things of the world while losing the things of our soul. So, Father, we're not looking to the world to win. We're looking to the King of Kings to win. And finally, we walk in courage and not timidity. We are not ashamed of who you are. And Father, we're so thankful that in the places, in the seasons, in the moments where our journey with you has been marked with shame, like Peter, you're redeeming all things. Thank you, Father. Do it for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.
Willow, so good to be back. God bless you. Have a great week.